Hi, I'm Dave. And I'm Paul. And we're going to challenge you to transform your financial future through the principles of the most profitable business in the world, banking. We believe everyone should be involved in two businesses, the business that you're in and the banking business. Everyday people can replicate what bankers have been doing for centuries to leverage capital and build wealth through private lending. Join us as we uncover the truths about money, expose lies and myths, and flip conventional financial advice on its head. Here we go. All right, Paul, welcome back. We're uh, part two of a, well, we'll turn into a two-part episode here. So uh, we were in the last episode, everybody, if you didn't listen to it, go back, listen to it. It's all about middle-class thinking versus uh, thinking like someone who's wealthy. So middle-class versus wealthy mindset. So we'll just kind of jump back to where we left off. So if you didn't listen to that episode, go ahead and catch up with that one and and then join us on this one. And we're going to talk a few of these more mindset differences. And then we'll talk about how did we overcome those? Not just how did we do it mentally, but what actions are Paul and I taking right now to overcome those? All right. So I'll start this off. Uh, we left off at this one. So there's two different mindsets here when it comes to retirement and building your retirement nest egg, so to speak. Paul, why don't you tell us what accumulation theory means? The accumulation theory is, it's what we hear about everybody doing. Everyone's socking money in their company's 401k plan, whatever, that's fine. Uh, everyone's putting money into other qualified type plans, whether it's a 403b, whether it's a IRA. And the idea is, or the theory is that you do that for your entire working life, and then by the time you, quote, retire, meaning you stop laboring for a wage, you have built up enough of this asset or these assets so that you can live off the assets by dwindling them down, essentially, over time. And then by the time you pass away, you have, in theory, spent down most or all of that asset. So the timing is perfect, and you never run out of money, and everything's just hunky-dory. Right. So accumulate a big nest egg, and then dwindle it down over time, and make sure you die soon enough is really what the catchphrase should be. Hey, don't die too late. I kind of like that catchphrase. If you die too late, you're not going to have any money. So. It, a lot of people compare it to uh, an analogy would be climbing Mount Everest. So what's your goal? What Every mountain climber who goes out there to, to accomplish that goal of, of Mount Everest, what is their goal? Well, most people would say, well, it's to get to the top of the mountain. Great, but actually the goal is to get back down to the bottom of the mountain safely, right? Because it's a fact, more people die on the descent from Mount Everest than on the climb. And if you think about that, it makes sense because you kind of let your guard down on the way down. Like, hey, I made it. I'm here. I can let my guard down and, and just coast. Well, it's not the case. And it's the same with retirement. Um, probably one of the biggest fears that most retirees have is outliving their money. And that what does that cause in retirement? goes back to one of the things we discussed last episode, which is that scarcity mindset that, okay, now I can only take a little bit, only 3% a year. Oh, that's too much. I better get by with 2%. Oh, I wanted to go on that vacation and hang out with the grandkids. I'm going to have to pass on that and just stay at home. That's the mindset. Now, the what's the wealthy thinking alternative to that? That would be creating passive income streams. So what is passive income? Passive income is mailbox money, money that comes into your control uh, without you having to do anything. You just wake up, you fog a mirror, you breathe into it, and you get money coming your way. That's passive income, money you don't have to work for. And that's something you don't have to wait until retirement to start creating. Like Paul, you and I have, have created uh, multiple passive income streams 
to this point. And if you just add another passive income stream, like every year, maybe every two years, imagine what that would do for you. Not only would you create a new income stream, because what do you need in retirement? You need one thing, you need income. So you build that income for retirement, but guess what? You can probably also, a lot of people who do this retire way earlier than they otherwise would have, than they planned on because, well, hey, I've got enough passive income stream coming in. I can retire comfortably off of this right now. So two different big shifts, accumulation theory versus passive income. Which one do you want it to be? No, great points. It, it changes the way you think about money as well and wealth. Um, you know, my view of wealth is, is based on how much passive or how much income am I bringing in every month? I, I want you to just say passive income, but how much income is hitting my checking accounts every month? That is my view of wealth. I don't care if people have, you know, $3 million or, you know, a million dollars or five, it doesn't, doesn't matter. Like how much monthly income or maybe even quarterly income is coming in, um, that you're not laboring for. And I think that's, that's the important distinction. Well, I think you, you, you hit part of the definition that my favorite definition of, of wealth or somebody's personal wealth is if I quit working today, how long could I survive mm -hmm. financially? Yep. That is a great indication of where you are on that wealth scale. So if you quit working yep. today and you only have six months of runway, congratulations, you're above average in America, right? <laughs> I yeah. think as we saw in the pandemic, uh, most Americans probably have one month of runway. Yep. They don't, a lot of people just don't realize how expensive it is to live, which drives me to always a conversation with my client. You know, I like to ask this question. All right. You know, I ask the, the spouse typically, let's say the breadwinner is the one getting the insurance right now. You know, ask the, 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 the housemaker or whoever, the, the non-working spouse, you know, if, 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 the, if the working spouse were to die tomorrow, how much money would you want to receive from his death benefit? Right. And they often throw out a number, oh, a million dollars. I'm like, well, no, the answer is the right answer. That's not a bad answer, but the right answer is as much as you could possibly get right right the full human life value which is and they're surprised to hear this hey you're you're 30 well 30 to 35 times his income mm -hmm. wow really i should we should have that much yes yes you should if you want Absolutely. to maintain your lifestyle and the lifestyle that you and your children enjoy right yeah so that's i like you know the nest egg thing is that's all we hear your 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 primary residence is is a precious asset right the biggest asset yeah. Yeah. It's your biggest asset. Yeah. It's a liability. Anyway. Okay. I can relate to this next one living for today since I can't take it with me. And we hear some financial entertainers saying that like, ah, you know, screw your kids or whatever, which is just appalling to me. But anyway, I used to kind of think like this and I don't know why if it was before we had children or, or when I had, um, when I, when I considered my whole life insurance contracts kind of a necessary evil, you know, the, the premium I, I was paying, just going out, never seeing it, never going to use the cash value that accumulated, what little cash value there was, never going to use it, never going to tap the policy loan feature, didn't even really know I could use it. I have a completely different mindset now because I know that I can, I can have both proper permanent whole life insurance in place now and when I die, and I can still enjoy the cash, the premium dollars that I'm using to pay for those contracts, I still have access to that cash. And in this year, I just made my fourth premium payments on those first two policies that you uh, that you sold me back, right. in, back in the day. And the cash values in those two policies are going up by a couple of thousand dollars more than I paid in premium. So think, think about that, folks. I paid us X amount of dollars in premium. The cash value is increasing by many times over that 
now in year four, which is which is super nice. So it's starting to make me money, right? It's starting to be what they call cash on cash, even though I don't care when that happens. But well, let's let's make sure that everybody knows this is Paul's individual scenario. Everybody's yeah. case is going to be different, you know, depending yeah. on your health, your age, how much premium you're putting in. It may take longer to get to that point, but it's possible. So yeah. Yeah, this is just my personal personal experience, factual real life experience. But now my mindset is this. I want to leave a legacy. I know that what Tammy and I have done and the things we've put in place right now, whether it's passive income streams or being fully insured, we have we have fully insured our human life value, right? So our, our full income would be replaced if I were to die sitting here talking to you. My full income for the next 25 years would be replaced. And that's very powerful. That means Tammy and the kids, they wouldn't even, I mean, aside from not getting to see me every day, which would be super depressing, they- I'd be depressed too. And you'd be, yeah, many people would be, let's face it. <laughs> super sad. <laughs> but now I have access to my cash and I can still leave a legacy all at the same time with no, and you're gonna hear me say this a lot, folks, I'm compromising nothing. My money, my capital still does, and I said this before, everything that everyone else's capital is doing, whether they're doing private lending, stock market, crypto, it doesn't matter. My money is still doing, it's just my sequence, my spending pattern is different than yours. Right, so leaving a legacy that doesn't just go for money because I think one thing- I'll be Education. Most wealth, yeah, exactly. Wealthy families, if you leave money to a child with zero education about money, man, I know what I would have done with that money, right? And it probably wouldn't be remaining anymore. I wouldn't have any left. The Vanderbilts. Yeah, classic example. People just living off the wealth that they didn't earn and they don't understand how to keep it. So earning it is one thing. Keeping it is a completely other thing. And maybe that's a future episode. But yeah, that legacy is going to be money, but also the importance of of properly using it. Yeah. It's a tool. Teaching them, teaching them the how. How did we get here? Right. So great. Okay. So here's one that is is the most one of those common um uh, something that's just spouted all the time at like it's a matter of fact. Well, to get a high reward, you got to take a high risk. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It used to I used to believe that. And now after educating myself and actually taking action and doing the things that I'm doing right now, I realized I'm never going to take a high risk. Why in the world? Would, I've done that before and I've lost money, lots of money because I took a high risk, hoping for that high reward. That's a, one of the biggest fallacies out there. You do not need to take high risk to get a high reward, but that's a middle-class way of thinking. Wealthy thinking is, hey, I want guarantees. I want consistent, positive returns, and I want a return of capital. I want something in place that's going to nearly eliminate my risk of losing that capital. Because what happens when you lose that capital? Well, you've lost the ability to earn any money, any interest on that capital for the rest of your life. So I, I think I did a I did a workshop a couple weekends ago uh, where I used the example of you know two different investments um, over the last know, fifteen years uh, I lost seventy five thousand dollars in capital and I didn't just lose seventy five thousand I lost several hundred thousands of dollars because of what that capital could be doing for me over the course of the rest of my life. So it's it's scary to think about that opportunity cost. But you know, we'll talk about 
you know, after we get done with this conversation, Paul and I will kind of go into how do we do that? How have we created guarantees for ourselves and consistent positive returns and secured our capital to make sure we get it back? Yes. Great. Excellent points. The last thing we with the middle class and the wealthy thinking, right, is, you know, middle class people labor for a wage, labor for their income, right? People working for money. And that's fine, right? You know, we all have jobs. We all earn earn a wage from that job, whether it's through W-2 income, 1099, whatever, doesn't matter. Um, but we're working, you know, we're spending time and effort to get that money coming to us, right? The wealthy mindset is money making money, right? Money working for you while you're, you know, you're making money while you're sleeping, right? That's what I love about it is I, you know, you know, and I have this goal, right? I have this just personal goal of how much monthly, pa- you know, quote passive, and maybe that's not the right term, but income that I'm not laboring for that comes in every month, right? Passive, we'll just call it passive mailbox money or whatever. But that, that changes your lifestyle completely when it's like, all right, Tammy, you, you know, you can quit your job now uh, because we've replaced your income, what you were earning with passive income, right? And that's an alt, that, that's a goal. And then maybe someday I can replace both of our incomes with passive income streams, right? But the, the whole point is, folks, I want to enjoy whatever life has to offer, whether it's going to, on vacation, you know, at the, on a whim or going to, you know, somebody's wedding or, you know, whatever, whatever it is, someone's retirement, service, it doesn't matter. Whatever it coach is. Coach Little League. Coach right. Little League, right? Which, which, which I do, right? I, I want to be able to do whatever the heck I want when I want without having to worry about it. Like, oh, I get this $15,000 credit card payment now or, you know, whatever. Um, I don't want to have to do any of that. I want to have the freedom to live. Yeah, abundantly. that's great. And I love how Nelson explains this through his series of books is he doesn't, he doesn't use the term retirement. He calls it his passive income years where you stop yep. actively working for an income and now it's just, you start receiving passive income. But guess what? Anybody who's retired right now and you say you think you don't have a job, you do have a job. Your job is you're a full-time asset manager. It's your job to manage the assets under your control to ensure that they're there for you for as long as you live. So don't think that you don't have a job and you can just continue to abdicate control to somebody else who doesn't have your best interest in mind. Your job is to manage your assets. And I'm trying to get to that point as quickly as possible where, yeah, my sole job is I sit back and I manage my assets. I direct my cash, my capital and earn the best passive income sources I can with the least amount of risk possible. So it's a worthy goal. And it's something, even if you're retired, think about that. You do have a job and that's it. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So that's, uh, I mean, there's many more things we can think about. We could talk about the differences between middle-class and wealthy mindset. That's just like a, a starter. This is a starter. And the more you read, the more you start listening to people who, who have this mindset, the more um, you put yourself around those people and start seeing what they do and how they talk and the words they use and the words they don't use, you know, this will, this will start making a lot more sense to you. Yes, Dave. And I, I think from like a mindset, like great mindset book for, for me, just going back to like 2016, 2017 was, you know, rich dad, poor dad gets named a lot. I liked that book. I thought it was a good, good way to a good mindset book. The millionaire next door was good to a certain extent as well. And then, um, you know, there's, there's, uh, the, I like the richest man in Babylon. It's short, but there's just, there's literally so many golden nuggets in that short little book. Uh, I, you know, I've read it probably six times and it's just, those are great little books to just to get into, just to change that mindset that, you know, switching from that middle-class mindset to an abundance type of mindset really changed my life. Absolutely. So books, be a reader or listen to audio books. It still counts. 
Some people yep. have argued with me that you're not reading a book. Yeah, I am. I'm still retaining this. I'm probably retaining knowledge better if I'm listening to it. And then I can listen to it multiple times. Yep. So, okay. Well, let's, let's transition now, Paul, to talk about, maybe we'll run through some of the typical problems that we all face in our financial lives, especially at that middle class level that we want to eliminate. And then we'll talk about how we've eliminated those or at the, at the very least, incredibly mitigated those, those problems in our life by what we now do with our capital. So, uh, you know, here's, here's a few, um, volatility. Nobody likes that taxes and increasing taxes and you know, that your tax liability every year. I love taxes. I love it's patriotic, right? I had that argument and not, it wasn't an argument. Somebody posted something about, Oh, you shouldn't hate taxes on LinkedIn. And I realized, you know, there's three things I'm, I'm more than happy, maybe not happy, but I'm willing to, uh, for my tax money is to go towards. And that's the three proper roles of government uh, to protect my life, to protect my property and protect my liberty. So I'm happy to pay taxes for those three items. Anything beyond that is illegitimate. You know, another I obviously problem, agree. Yeah, obviously. Another problem is a lack of liquidity. Your money's not accessible. It's locked up. You're taking all the risk without any guarantees. You're, you're at risk to anybody who wants to sue you for anything. Your money's liable. You have no control over it. There's hidden penalties and fees. It's highly regulated. Um, why don't you list some of these other problems? Yeah, I, I, I want to touch upon one thing that you said is, you know, is the control and the accessibility. I can't tell you, Dave, how many people I've talked to in the past couple of years that have complained about either they missed out on the CARES Act, you know, 401k withdrawal opportunity. They didn't know about it, you know, whatever. Man, they wish they had the capital now. I mean, it's just... I had right. lunch with people last week that we were talking about that exact thing. So super important. Anyway, yeah. So you know, this, you know, we don't realize this till we get into infinite banking. But each each dollar we have is only doing one job, as opposed to having the same dollar do multiple things for us. Right? I love that one. Um, interrupted growth. When you you know when the when the market dips and you have losses, right? You're interrupting compounding. Um, you talked about lost opportunity costs of a previous you know investment that you had go bad, right? Now, what, what is that opportunity cost? Well, you have to set a price on it. Is it 8%? Is it 10% per year, 12% per year? You know, whatever, but it's significant. Um, huh. Oh, yeah. Non-transferable without paying taxes. Oh, my goodness. So I know several people who have inherited IRAs or, you know, retirement plans that are that have to take the income now mm -hmm. and they don't need it necessarily, but that's annoying. So that goes yep. back to the control and you're subject to government rules on these different pots of money, right? Depending on what they were. Yeah. Certain things, death and taxes, right? So, you know, how much of our, how much of the assets we've accumulated are going to be taxed upon our death? We hear about the state taxes all the time. They change the rules. Every time there's a different like regime change, right. whether it's the federal, the state level, they're, they're changing it. So know what state you're in and then know the federal tax laws and how to reduce your tax exposure upon your death, right? Yep. Hey, Dave, contribution limits. I can only put X amount of dollars in a Roth type thing, right? Right. Why is that? Folks, we need to ask ourselves why they restrict probably yep. the best tax qualified plan that there is, the Roth IRA, right? Why do they restrict how much money you can put in that? Mm -hmm. There's a reason. It's, it's not, it's fairly obvious. Lack of flexibility, of course. And then yes, the probability based outcomes. Oh, that gets back to just the cookie cutter, you know, the cookie cutter solution for every American is to buy term and invest the difference, max out your 401k and your IRA, and then you'll be fine. 
Yeah. Instead of looking at what, what are all of these, what are these numbers based on? What are all of the assumptions? And if any one of those assumptions is not correct, then this plan falls apart completely. Right. What blows up your plan? Yeah. So those are a lot of problems. And I don't think any of those, even if you haven't thought about those specifically, probably everybody has uh, realizes that those are a problem in our financial world today, um, especially for the middle class. Now, what have you and I done to counteract every single one of those problems? This is what this podcast is all about, the infinite banking concept. You and I have found there is a way to avoid every single one of these problems. And the first thing in our, both your and my financial world is our foundation. The very first place we put our capital once it comes into our possession is inside a specially designed whole life insurance policy. While that money, that capital is there, we have effectively counteracted every single one of the problems we just mentioned. And then we get to become very creative in how we we utilize those living benefits of our cash value and put that cash value to work in two places at once, giving every one of those dollars two jobs. And the 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 opportunities are are infinite. You know, and the different things you can do with this are infinite. Paul, would would you agree that's your foundation? Yeah, no, um, no question. And it wasn't always, right? I mean, I I have owned whole life insurance since two thousand three, as as did Tammy. But they weren't they weren't the specially designed life insurance contracts that you and I are talking about to implement with the process of the infinite banking concept. So, you know, process infinite banking, product properly structured dividend paying whole life insurance. I, you know, I pay an enormous amount of premium, as do a lot of my clients, relative to their income levels. Generally speaking, a life insurance company will let you pay somewhere between 20 and 25% of your income in premium, but no more than that, right? Right. And my clients have heard my, this term premium poor. I've had people want to pay way more than the 20%. And I'm like, listen, that's not going to float. Let's start you off at here, which is a great, which is a healthy premium level. Mm-hmm. You're paying more life insurance premium than 99.9% of Americans, right? So yeah, the basis of my our wealth strategy now And again, this is more of a product thing, but it's also a sequence of our money thing. And I've said this before, my money's still doing everything else that your money's doing. It's just hitting this, my infinite banking system or my family banking system first. And then it's going to do via the policy loan or line of credit feature that I'm, you know, I have guaranteed access to this capital inside my life insurance contracts. The money goes and does whatever it's going to go do, but it's hitting my system of policies first. So you're saying because you're doing the same thing with your money that say somebody else who's listening right now is potentially doing with their money. When you say you pay an incredible amount of premium, did you have to come up with that premium in addition to all of your other expenses and investing and savings and everything else you do in life? No, I mean, quite honestly, my example is pretty simple. I I previously was putting money in 401ks, IRAs, just like everyone else is, right? I have since stopped doing that and redirected all of that money that was going into those types of qualified plans. That money's just premium. So I didn't have to come out of pocket for anything. It was just, it was cash flows. I was used to, you know, pay myself first from a very young age. I've been doing those things for a long time. So we didn't feel any difference. The, how we do feel different is now I have access to that money without restriction. Yeah. Right. Aside from the startup costs of the policies, right? Obviously, every dollar in premium, and I've said this before, every dollar in premium in the early years, I'm not going to have an equal amount of cash value, right? 
And I'm, yep. there's going to be a break-even point at some point, which is whatever, seven to 12 years in, whatever it is, I don't care. But that is not the point. So I feel wealthier, even though really I'm taking the same dollars I already had and just by putting them in a different place, I'm able to access them and create those passive income flows now rather than when I'm 59 and a half. Right. So what Paul's getting at and what we're alluding to, let's just say it straight up. This is not an additional expense in your life. Like that's what people. So I had somebody yesterday, a 15 year old young man talking to me. He's like, I want to do this. I want to start a policy. He's like, what's the minimum I, I have to put in to get started? I said, you're asking the wrong questions. Read this book and then come back and we'll talk. And, you know, have your mom, your dad read the book with you as well, because they have to own the policy for you. You're not old enough. It, it is not an added expense. The way Paul and I work with people is we say where, like you just said, where's your money going right now? What's your cash flow situation? You got money coming in. What are all the different avenues it's leaving your pocket and going into leaving your hands and going into somebody else's hands? Let's redirect that money. It doesn't mean you can't do any, everything you're doing right now, you could continue to do but let's redirect that money and put it first into this asset over here. This permanent guaranteed growth, you know, compounding uninterrupted asset that provides all these other living benefits. Oh, and a death benefit to boot in case God forbid something happens to you. Um, well, you are going to die at some point, uh, but oh. let's first, <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I don't know with the advances in science, I'm pretty sure I can live to be about 150 years old, but, uh, we'll see. That's my goal. And I know I'm never going to run out of money. That's the cool part. I can live to be 150. I'm not going to run out. Okay. We got off topic. So you first put your money into this asset. And then from there you play quarterback, you direct it exactly where you want it to go. Right. And, and if you're thinking like the evolution of Paul and, and my mindset is once we have control of our capital, we realize, man, that is, that feels really good. I don't want to now direct that capital to go put into the stock market, somebody else's hands. I mean, maybe a little bit to play here and there, or maybe buy the dip because I've got capital available when, you know, when something happens and everything drops, I'll throw some money in like you did, you know, in 2020 and then wait until it, you know, shoots back up and take your money back out. But you're going to realize, man, I, I really want to keep more control of my capital and be a better steward of what I've been given. That's the way I feel. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we've seen this, right, with our clients over the last couple of years, the mindset shift. And I tell them this at the beginning of the process. You don't see it now, but you are going to start to view things differently. Once you have access to this money that you had been locking up previously, you've been putting it where you can't get at it without, without either taking a penalty or jumping through hoops or paying tax, you know, whatever. They see things com completely different now. And that's what we're after, right? We're after, we're after people who, who want to do something different. And, and oftentimes, Dave, is people are looking for something different to do with their capital. They don't, and this was actually refreshing. I had clients that didn't get sucked into the 529 like I did, didn't get sucked into, you know, in mutual fund investing like that. You know, they paid cash for a $300,000 house. Two of my clients have done wow. that in the past couple of years. Wow. And now one's going to rent one, one's selling theirs right now. They bought it for $270, they are selling it for $400, and they're going to pay cash for a house down this way and have it, well, most of it will be paid off. They'll have it paid off in a year. Now, that's a different discussion of whether I agree with them or not. We've already had the discussion with them, and I'm like, hey, more power to you, y'all. Go 
You guys are smart. Sure, but the fact is they're controlling their capital. They're, they have so much control. It's, it's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that's great. Well, man, I think we covered a lot in this episode. We could, we could keep going, but I think uh, hopefully everybody got an idea of the difference between mindsets. Middle class, broken middle class is one mindset. Wealthy is a separate mindset. And before you can move from that socioeconomic state of middle class to wealthy, it first starts with your mindset and you know, doing, taking some practical action steps to get there. So if, uh, if anybody wants to talk more in depth about that, feel free to reach out to us. Our, our emails on the podcast notes. Any parting shots? I got no parting shots today. I feel good about this one. This was a great discussion. Yeah, if you haven't, this is my parting shot. Pick up Becoming Your Own Banker by R. Nelson Nash and read that book. 92 pages. Yep. I just gave a copy to my chiropractor like two yes. weeks ago. There so, you go. There you go. There you have it. All right, Paul. Hey, good, good talking to you, buddy. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right. See you next week. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to have a conversation with us to see how you can become your own banker, or if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to tackle on a future episode, please send us an email to David and Paul at the ibcguys.com. And subscribe and leave us a review if you're on Apple. Follow and leave us a five-star review if you're on Spotify. 